you, Brian, so much. It was actually Gabby last Sunday morning that, that picked up on, uh, on the, the salt of the world. I, I had already knew what I was doing next Sunday and had the message already outlined. And Brian does this incredible piece with this object lesson. And I said to him after the service, and Gabby was there, uh, music, uh, she and, and uh, were doing the music. And anyway, the long and short was, um, I said, uh, it fits perfectly with salt of the world. And Gabby says, sieve of the world. You are the sieve of the world. Perfect. And that's exactly uh, where it fits. So uh, with, now we have three images for the message this morning. We have salt, we have light, and we have sieve. So I want you to hear uh, Eugene Peterson's way of, these, of writing these three uh, verses. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If, you make, if, you make, if I make you light bears, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you here on, there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Jesus, when you said these words so many centuries ago, they had meaning and they brought life to those who heard. We want that to happen today. Whether here in the sanctuary or via computer, we pray that you will help us to understand our purpose in this world, especially in the times in which we live. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. I'm thinking that maybe the slide of the uh, message that Alec, you can put it up if, if, it's, if it is available. I know that uh, Josh very kindly sent out an email last night and included the uh, outline, and you're welcome again if you're looking uh, at the program uh, via Zoom to uh, use that outline as well. Although I had heard the word ghetto and read about ghettos of read about the ghettos of the major cities of the United States, the word ghetto became real to me in January 1978. It was during that month that Dr. Gilbert James, professor of church and society at Asbury Theological Seminary, where I was a student, led a group of five seminarians, including myself, as we lived and worked in the ghetto of Jackson, Mississippi, serving through the local church called Voice of Calvary Ministries. And on the outline, I've given you the link uh, for that uh, ministry, which thrives today, an incredible story the ministry of Dr. John Perkins. The purpose of our month there was to renovate old houses, which Voice of Calvary was buying up, decrepit, awful housing, which they were buying up, gutting, 
and then, of course, uh, renovating, uh, properly wiring uh, so they wouldn't burn down, and uh, then making them available for uh, low-income housing. The houses were gutted and repaired so that they could become affordable housing for low-income families. I look back at that one month of my life, still over 40 years ago now, as one of the key moments in my formation as a follower of Jesus, kind of like the coffee house story. Something happened in that one month that changed the way that I saw the world and the way that I saw the kingdom of God. The ghetto of an American city is very unique. Even though there are no signs on the streets saying, this is where the ghetto begins and this is where it ends, it is very easy to tell where the ghetto is. The ghetto is a world within a world. It is an area that seems completely isolated and insulated from the city all around it. Within two blocks of where the ghetto of Jackson, Mississippi extends, you'll find a beautiful, manicured southern city, tastefully landscaped with virtually none of the negative characteristics of the ghetto. A world all to itself. Now you will notice that I have titled this opening message of the Sermon on the Mount series, which Glenn and I will walk you through uh, this fall, A Christian Ghetto. So what then is a Christian ghetto? A Christian ghetto is a corner of the world that is uniquely and distinctly Christian. For all intents and purposes, you could live in this world and avoid all interaction with the rest of the world. A Christian ghetto is a place, an idea, a group of persons who are insulated from the west, rest of the world, and even though they coexist with the world, they do not have any interaction with it. You drive in, and you drive out. That, dear friends, is what I see happening in the Christian community as we live in a post-Christian Canada, and I fear could be intensifying because of the pandemic in which we live. Because our worldview and value system is no longer the way Canadians see the world, because we no longer have major political and social clout, I fear that we are withdrawing from the world and creating the Christian ghetto. Well, perhaps your reaction is, great, that's exactly what we should be doing. If we don't withdraw from this pagan, hedonistic society, we'll be just become like everybody else. So let's create a cocoon, this warm, comfortable, safe place, and let's call it the body of Christ, the community of the King. But I suggest to you today, there's only one problem with this concept. I am convinced that if Jesus Christ were walking on this planet right now, he would refuse to be part of this Christian ghetto, this enclosed community, because that's not the way he intended it to 
be. And my biblical justification for saying that Jesus would not be part of the Christian ghetto that we might want to create in the world in which we live today is the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew tells us that Jesus compares our role in the world to two of the most basic elements of human existence. In the opening teaching part, the Beatitudes, of course, is the opening part of the Sermon on the Mount. We could have preached a whole series just on, this, on the Beatitudes. So we've moved to the, the more teaching sections of Matthew 5, 6, 7. And in this opening introduction, after the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us that we are salt and light, and can I add this morning, please, sieve. Well, we've had the, the story of the sieve. Let's now look at salt. Salt. You are the salt of the earth. Now, first thing, it's quite a statement for Jesus to say this, considering the crowd that he's speaking to at the time. We think there were hundreds, perhaps thousands of people there. And, and it's post, it, it's pre-cross, and it's pre uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. So there's not a lot of, 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 of evidence, if you like, of, of redemption that will ultimately and finally be the hallmark of, of the Christian community. But he says to them, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Well, the answer is, it can't. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Is salt of any value in a salt shaker? No. Salt only has value as it is poured out and shaken onto the food that the taste might be better. And worse yet, if the salt loses its ability to enhance the flavor of food, it simply becomes a method to keep the dust down on the dirt roads of Palestine in the first century and in the 21st century too. We call it uh, calcium. So if Jesus is telling these people to whom he is speaking that they are the salt of the earth, the flavor enhancers of their society, before the cross ever occurs, what do you suppose that he would say to us? You are the salt of the earth. But if you are happy to live your Christian faith in your Christian ghetto, you're missing your reason for being. You've lost your savor. And you're no longer of significant value in the work of the kingdom of God. So that's the negative side of Jesus' injunction. Let's take it to the positive, to the light. You are the light of the world. 
Whereas salt changes the world by changing the actual nature of the world, the Christian who lets his or her light shine is an agent of change by modeling the Christ life like within them. The desert rose. Salt changes the actual construct. Light leads by example. It shows the way. Here again, Jesus is talking about his community leading the way, showing what the Jesus model is all about and affecting change in the society. Here again, the Christian ghetto is a lot less threatening. It's one thing to model the Lord Jesus Christ within a friendly environment. It's quite another when you're in hostile territory. So food plus salt equals flavor. Society and a poured out Christian equals a changed society. Darkness plus more darkness equals darkness. But darkness plus light. It always it always intrigues me when, when the power goes out. You know? We, we, we are so dependent on electricity. And when electricity, even for five minutes, I mean, there's places in the world where you get eight hours a day electricity and you're very grateful for the eight hours. We, we've just become so dependent on all these things we take for granted. But what do we do when the lights go out? We hunt for that flashlight because one little flashlight gives us the sense, gives us the direction that we need to get wherever we need to go in a hurry until the lights come back on. It intrigues me that all you need is one little light to break into darkness. And again, I think this is so much part of this whole Christian ghetto thing that's so wrong. If we're the light of the world and our light is hid under the bushel, there's no possibility of anything but darkness. And we say, I don't really know if my little light's going to make any difference. It always makes a difference. Because wherever you have darkness and you impose light into it, you have light. Even if it's not a lot of light, it's still not dark. But if the Christian community retreats and creates a Christian ghetto, and if we become fearful post-pandemic, and we say we've just got to care for ourselves right now, we will not be in a position to challenge anyone or anything. If we have the gates set up around ourselves, we will never leave our cocoon and go into the cities and the suburbs and the rural communities of Peterborough and Peterborough County and our world and break down the gates of hell. So here's my thesis about the Christian ghetto. 
The Christian ghetto is the creation of a frightened, fearful church which has forgotten the words of Jesus. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. All right, so what does this mean for us as believers as we live our lives in a post-Christian Canada and in, hopefully, very soon, a post-pandemic world? I want to draw two conclusions from this three verses of Scripture this morning. The first has to do with the church, and the second has to do with our lives as individual believers. First, the church. There is a theory in war by a man named Clausewitz, who was a historian, that went like this. You cannot ever win a defensive war. You cannot win a defensive war. Now, I know that great hockey teams, great football teams, great baseball teams always have a great defense. But if I can use a football metaphor, seeing that the season is about to begin, you can't tackle someone if you can't catch them. That was how my brother Paul and I uh, won so many games of flag football at Fording Park in Renfrew, Ontario, when we were growing up. Paul could throw the football farther than anyone else, and I could run faster than anyone else. So he laid the football up there, and I went and caught it. At some point, you have to move from defense to offense. You've got to score at least one goal. No one ever won the Stanley Cup with a 0-0 score. There's got to be at least one goal, and you've got to play overtime until you get that one goal. You cannot win a defensive war. At some point, although defense is very important, and we need all the people in the Christian community doing those kinds of things, defending the faith, at some point there has to be a plan of attack. There has to be a saying, we are going to find a way to be salt and light in the midst of an unsavory and a dark world. The life of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Scriptures who bear witness to his life and teaching, tell us that the Christian community is only the body of Christ when, to use the words of Rebecca Pippert, it gets out of the salt shaker and into the world. You may remember that book, uh, copyrighted in 1979, Rebecca Pippert. Uh, Christianity Today calls it one of the most important, the top 50 books to shape evangelical theology. It has, there has to be that moment when you shift from defense to offense. Furthermore, the ghettoization of the Christian church will ultimately lead to it being increasingly marginalized by the society. So if we simply retreat, if we, if we never move from defense to offense, and I'm not talking about being offensive, not at all. I'm talking about being, having an offense that is not offensive. If, if, we, if we continue to ghettoize, 
then we're going to continue to be marginalized. We'll be seen as having less and less impact and, and importance in our culture. Any organization which ceases to fulfill its purpose ends up in, on the antique roadshow of history. Okay, so that's enough said about the church. How about us as individuals? I'd like to lead off this section with the words of John 17, verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, these are the words of Jesus, our Lord, just hours before he's crucified. And it's a prayer to his Father. And he's asking the Father to keep us in the world, but to protect us. And that's the key. Again, the idea of, of ghettoizing the Christian community is simply it doesn't fit any of the tenor of Scripture. It just doesn't fit. And here's another example. So how do I, as an individual believer, respond to the call to be salt and light? I think too often uh, pastors, spirit, uh, speakers, uh, they, they take us to this spot, but they don't give us a handle to, 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 put, our, to put our coat on, to, to hang up our coat on. Uh, they don't give us a, a something to, to uh, this is how I do this. So I'm going to be proactive uh, this morning. While the guys are working on Zoom here, I'm going to get a drink. I, I'm going to be proactive and, and give you just a wee bit of a... Oh, I guess that would help if you plugged... Hey, there's a good example right there. No, don't plug it in. There's no power. <laughs> so uh, I'm assuming we haven't had Zoom all morning if there's been no power. Oh, the phone died. Okay. I was on a three-hour Zoom call yesterday. Uh, the Free Methodist Church in Canada uh, meets every three years for a general conference, and uh, it can't happen. So they're, they're breaking it up into successive uh, Saturdays in the fall here, and it was quite, quite an ordeal to be three hours on Zoom yesterday, so uh, I had to plug into a computer too. So the slide... If you look at the slide, I'll just back away from just the screen just for a minute because I want you to see that bottom part. You'll see that, that the conclusion relative to Indian in individual believers is John 17, 15. And then I have this box, and for those of you who are uh, watching and have the uh, insert that Josh sent yesterday, you'll see being a healthy Christian involves one worship experience, one learning experience, one ministry experience each week, which makes a healthy church. Let me just develop this idea a wee bit. I, I really think that this little truism is, is one of the easiest ways to get a handle on how I can be salt and light. One worship experience. So most of us are in church every Sunday, whether it's the building right now or via Zoom. Uh, we 
are wanting to be, and, and many of us are using right now media and other forms, uh, YouTube as well, uh, where we're experiencing the worship experience in some way. The second is a learning experience. Every believer should have some kind of nurturing going on. And again, it's such a blessing that, that you're doing that here at Auburn, uh, both, again, live and Zoom. Uh, once a week, an opportunity to interact with each other, to grow in your faith, to be in relationship with other believers. Uh, there's, no, there's no substitute for, for being in relationship with with each other and learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's foundational to our faith. Now, the third one on that slide is a ministry experience. I'm going to call this this morning the salt, the light, the sieve part of this message, of this uh, idea of what we are, how we live out being salt and light. The worship of God and the learning about our Lord Jesus results in us having something to say and something to give to the circle of life to which we belong. But this is the spot at which study after study says Christians bog down. We understand the mandate to worship and we want to worship. We understand the mandate to learn and we want to learn. There's something uh, nurturing about that. But the ghettoizing begins at this ministry, this giving moment, this, this spot in our, in, our, uh, in our journey. What would happen if every believer in this local church and in the city of Peterborough, in the county of Peterborough, lived out the mandate of offering to the Lord the gift of one ministry experience each week. Can you imagine what that would do? Now, I'm not talking about inside the four walls necessarily, although I think that's very important. If you're involved in, in the leadership of this assembly at this time in history, you're on the front lines. And thank you for your service. But there's so many other places, and I think right now too, that are just asking for help. There are so many ways in which we can be salt and light. I was going to give you a list this morning, and I thought, no, I'm not. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit give you the list. What has God been speaking to you about? What has God been speaking to me about? That is a way in which I could be salt and light and a sieve. In this world. And again, I think it, be, it can be word and deed. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Both and, perhaps. If every believer in the city of Peterborough was to live out the mandate to be salt and light by serving the Lord Jesus and others in some tangible way once a week, I think we would see the book of Acts all over again. <laughs> because if you look at Acts 1 and 2, particularly Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, what happened? They just began to tell the story and they began to do all the things they needed to do, even caring for the, the widow and the orphan. I mean, they, they did everything that they were supposed to do because 
They understood the mandate and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. Well, that's the same thing that we have. So what's stopping us? I think what's stopping us is time and workloads and all kinds of pressures that modern families feel. that They say, I just don't have anything more to give. That's all legitimate, and I wouldn't minimize it for one minute. But here's my challenge to you today. Is it possible to break out of that and look beyond what you're experiencing into the lives of someone else that doesn't have what I have and, and say, I will do what you want me to do, Lord Jesus, by word or by deed, so that I can be salt and light in this world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said these words, A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Let us pray. We do live in very, very, very difficult times, Lord. Thank you that you have promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us. We're so hanging on to that promise these days. But in the midst of hanging on, we're asking you to help us to look out and to realize that even in difficult times, in fact, if we look at church history, probably in the most difficult times, the church has been at its best. Because it's understood that if we aren't salt and light, no one else will be. Forgive us for looking inward, for being protective. Help us, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit's empowerment to be agents of change, salt, and light in darkness. And we'll thank you in your precious holy name. Amen. <laughs>